the earth is like a heart that got shattered into all these tiny pieces when we started to look at the land in a sense of ownership. Now we have all these tiny little pieces of shattered hearts and if enough of us bring those little pieces back to full health, we can, we can, we can transform the whole place. Okay, welcome to Farm On, the podcast, where we get to have conversations with agriculturists, artists, and activists on the front lines of the food movement. I'm Joe Phillips. Uh, back in uh, Farm On episode 16, I was talking with uh, Larry Korn, and um, he was really excited to tell me about this uh, person named Mary Reynolds. And um, Mary wrote this amazing book called The Garden Awakening, Designs to Nurture Our Land and Ourselves. And uh, actually, Larry Korn was, uh, helped her with some editing on the book, and he wrote the foreword as well to the book. But um, Larry had just gotten back to Ireland. Uh, Mary Reynolds is Irish. And um, he was just really excited to, to tell me about this person who could embody uh, a spiritual sacredness to her work and her life. And she was able to find uh, deep, uh, lasting connections with the landscape of Ireland, calling on uh, ancient pagan mythologies and fairy magic. And in the introduction to her book, um, The Garden Awakening, Mary says, Ireland is a great place to seek out and research sacred places because the country is simply littered with them. You can barely walk across a field without tripping over a sacred stone, falling into a holy well, or disappearing into a crack in a bumpy field that turns out to be an underground burial chamber in disguise. And so since I've never been to Ireland and certainly haven't uh, visited a place from that kind of perspective, I was fascinated to talk to Mary about uh, her work and her perspective of the land uh, from someone who sees things in a magical way. And so we talk about that. We also talk a great deal about um, children and how raising children is a lot like caring for the land. And also in the intro, she says, Your land is like a member of your own family. It can form a bond with you, but it won't unless you develop the relationship together. The quality of the relationship will determine the strength and quality of the bond. And Mary's garden designs, she's a basically a reformed landscape designer, as she calls herself. And her garden designs explicitly do that. How do we form these long-lasting relationships with our land? And it's a beautiful practice. And speaking of relationships, Mary is probably the only garden designer that I know of whose life has inspired an independent film that's going to be uh, debuting in the U.S. sometime this year. It's called Dare to be Wild, so look out for that. My wife and I watched it, and it's very sweet. So anyway, I start our conversation with Mary Reynolds, asking her about her decision to make her book, The Garden Awakening, look and feel like a book of fairy tales. I hope you enjoy. That was really important to hold, that it looked like a fairy tale book, because that's another aspect of it. People remember images and stories, but also if they pick up a book that feels like a fairy tale book, then it it automatically, their heart stays open to that kind of childlike energy, which is how you also get through to people. So if if you can get them to keep their hearts open this information goes in really, really easily because a lot of the stuff I'm saying can is pretty wacky. You know, there's mm-hmm. a lot of stuff can be seen as being pretty wacky. Mm-hmm. But for me, it's that world of other realms is probably more real to me than this one is, you know? I love when you 
there's a chapter called Nature is Stronger Than Nurture. And um, by the way, the chapter titles or even the headings have, um, it's an ancient language right under it. I don't even know what it is. <laughs> Gaelic or? <laughs> it's Irish, yeah, Gaelic. It's Irish, yeah. It's Gaelic. It's- I've never, I, I think I've heard it, but I've never seen it um, typed out. And it's, I mean, when I look at it, I just think, how how would that word be pronounced? It's got four vowels <laughs> in a row. Uh, can you speak those? Can you speak Gaelic? Yeah. Which one? Which one are you looking at? So can Gaelic? you? Yeah. Can you? Can you read? Um, nature, nature is stronger nature. than nurture. Yeah. It's 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 trash on Rufus non olunt. Yeah, that's what I thought. That's what I thought. I was going to read that, but any of the vowels that have little lines over them, it's kind of similar to French, and that that that, that lengthens the vowel. You okay. know, okay. so yeah, that's beautiful. How it works. <laughs> well, thanks for reading that. And in, in that section, you talk about um, you kind of uh, get into the psychology of existence, um, the idea that we people, you say, we only exist if those around us acknowledge that we are real. Otherwise, we would just wither and die. And then you go on to talk about this um, experiment, this really cruel experiment, speaking of the church, (laughs) Um, by uh, 13th century emperor Frederick II. And I won't read the whole thing, but a really cruel experiment where children were, you know, basically isolated and to find out what, how they would develop without human contact. It was just terrible, nightmarish stuff. Um, Just wanted to throw that out as an example of how in this in the narrative part of the book you really do kind of take these uh, really fairy tale type scenarios and somehow weave it back into how do we like how do we approach our land how does that work in your in your work when I'm if somebody asks me to work with a piece of land these days I'm more of a midwife really I try and I try like it's and I've always done this. Like a lot of designers will kind of do what they think is right as opposed to listen to what the land itself wants to become right. or what the, clients, what the clients themselves need. So both the clients and the land reflect each other very, very strongly. Mm-hmm. So um, whatever types of healing the land itself will need, um, from, mostly from a kind of a sort of emotional, psychological and physical um, and the, the people who've been drawn there will need the same types of healing. So, say for me, my land is very. This sorry, this I'll get. I'll hopefully get encompass everything you're after with sure. this. But with my land, it's basically. Um, I have I have I have some land in the southeast of Ireland, and I'm working towards um, building a home for me and my kids there, but also mm-hmm. creating. Uh, an educational center for people can come and learn and work with me wonderful which will be great but it's just i'm, I'm kind of slow at making all this stuff happen but i'll get there <laughs> <won't be. Sure. laughs> I've, I've never been so great at um kind of i don't know make making making i don't know it's 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 all starting to come together anyway uh-huh. but i, I kind of i want to make a, a basically a living version of the book but the land that i have hmm. I can. F- it's a. It's a really powerful piece of land, and it's ancestral land for me. You know, but hmm. the land is really has serious problems with um, abandonment and rejection, which is exactly hmm. the same as me, you know. And it's very, it's very um, 
uh, brittle and um, I can see all the sides to myself that need working on it's the same as that place there you know mm-hmm. so when so when I research a piece of land and I look for stories about the place so there might be myths or um, there might be symbols that are associated with it or symbols that the clients really are attracted to or um, there's definitely there's a kind of a correlation between uh, you know the kind of mythology of the place and um the needs of the place and the needs of the client so that that's what I do I do a lot of research and a lot of listening and I weave stories into the land then with the with the with those patterns and stories and I'm just curious when you say research um I I mean does that mean finding the oldest person in the area and just talking to the elders about the place or does it mean finding public records I mean how do you how do you go about that or does it change depending on the place? Depends on the place, yes. yeah. So if I so the oldest person in the place may remember stories, but mostly those people are gone. Right. Um so it's mostly researching through books. Um the internet isn't great. You get snippets of things, they're not really good good information, you know. Yeah. But um it can be a help for sure and um and I have a lot of really good research books that I that I have to hand. I have a massive library of books at this stage, and then, um, and then I trust my own intuition and my instinct, which mm-hmm. is like any muscle. Mm-hmm. It's exactly the same as any muscle. Like when I started designing gardens, I hadn't a bog's notion what to do, and I stared at a piece of paper. But now it's almost instant, and I, and it. But I never allow myself to create a space instantly I, I do have to go through the process of research so that I don't hmm. read myself or I make sure that I, I'm listening to the subtleties of the place or whatever so thinking about your land that you're um, that you've acquired and you're eventually gonna what you said turn into a garden version of the book which just sounds incredible <laughs> like I'm, I just would love to see that happen it sounds oh, me too. that would be wonderful um, <laughs> Because the book is just is really enchanting. So, uh, but I wanted to uh, read a line and get your reaction uh, as it relates to your your personal land. We are mirrors for the land, and it is a mirror for us. So healing the land leads us toward our own restoration back to our true selves. So how yeah. does that relate to your personal land? Currently, my land is was an overworked piece of agricultural land it's like a five acre stretch you know mm. um irish acres are quite big bigger than normal acres and um so i've been planting trees on it now for i guess a year and a half and um um as the land which is you know how do i answer this mm-hmm. i guess um a cleared piece of land is like a vulnerable child. That's how I look at it. So I look at land as being part of my family. And the land wants to become something. It is here to become mostly what land wants to become, which is a multi-tiered woodland system. That's what I look at it as being a, a kind of a, a mature, evolved, kind of independent being. So mm-hmm. like an adult of land is is a is a mature woodland system okay mm-hmm. and as a parent 
if you don't allow it to become that, if you force it into some other weird version of events, that that's not good parenting. That's not helpful. So as you work with your land and as you get to know your land, quite a number of different things happen. You, you, you slow down. You realize it takes a long time. It's a long relationship because it's, it takes as long to grow a piece of land back to health as it does to grow a child to full maturity, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. So no instant instant solutions with it. Um, and as you, bring, as you bring it back to health, um, it just it just brings it just brings everything back to health in yourself. So when you're sorting out the physical stuff, and you're working with the land to feed yourself, and you're feeding all the other creatures that you're supposed to be caretaking. Um, and when I mean what I what I mean by that is that we're like you know, it's pretty obvious to me, and I hear a lot of people saying it this day, which is really good that humans have no role in this whole cycle of life on Earth. None. Our only role here is 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 one of caretaker, one of guardian, hmm. and we're supposed to be looking after every other creature here that's our role it's a really important role and when we step back into that role and realize that when we have a piece of land that we're supposed to be caring for um and we have to feed ourselves and also provide kind of habitat and food for all the other creatures that want to come and live there you know Mm -hmm. it changes the whole way you're working but the food becomes different the food that you're eating there becomes different and we'll get into that later and um because you know, I I kind of want to kind of focus on your your question, but um, just like as as you bring the land back to health, it's a very slow process. You're you're creating a connection. The only real connection, all the connections people are trying to make with each other through sex or through drugs or through television or just to, you know social media. Everything is to feel connected, and um, mm-hmm. but the real connection is with the earth beneath your feet. So when you Heal that connection, and you have a flow of energy between you and the land. It, it 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 fixes you, and and if the land is noticed and loved and 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 cared for, it, it will it will get well as well. It's like when you love something, it it heals. It's very simple. Hmm. Like I see land as, as as alive as we are. So I don't. And the earth is like a heart, hmm. you know that got shattered into all these tiny pieces when when we started to look at the land as own, in, in a sense of ownership mm. like rather than being caretakers we started to own it and and that's now we have all these tiny little pieces of shattered hearts that we call our gardens or our land or whatever mm. if you're lucky enough to have one to look after mm-hmm. and if enough of us bring those little pieces back to full health um, we can we can we can transform the whole place you know it's beautiful um, can I share a personal, quick personal story real quick that actually I hadn't thought of it until you were talking about how um, a mature or land being restored, it takes as long as a, as a human child. And um, when my son was born, he was just a few months old, and I took him back to my parents' home for the first time in Oklahoma. So I'm, I was raised in rural Oklahoma. Um, which is, you know, lower Midwest United States, if you don't know. And um, so I took him back there, and we're just spending beautiful time with my with his grandparents for the first time. And um, 
and my dad wanted to take him out to to look at these uh, aspen trees that he had planted. And aspens don't typically uh, grow native in our part of the state, but he had brought, what he had done is when I was born, he had taken seedlings from Colorado of these aspen trees and transplanted them back at our home like seven hours away. And the aspens were, you know, maybe not completely mature, but they were very, very tall. And um, I, I, my whole life, I didn't even know that they were there. And they were literally right outside our back window, like just right in front of my face. But he had never pointed them out and said, these are the trees that I planted when you were born. And so I was able to take my son out there as a baby and hold him next to the trees with my dad. And and we didn't do anything or say anything. We just stood there. And um, it was uh, it was something I'll never really forget. And I always, I look at trees very differently now <laughs> than I used to. Um, yeah. Yeah, that's gorgeous. That's amazing. Yeah. Um, but then the other thing I wanted to ask about, because you talk about this a lot in your book, about that idea that, Basically, all land wants to return to that state of being a, a dense um, a woodland. And so yeah. I would like to understand Ireland a little bit better, because when I think about Ireland, I think about rolling green plains, like these just flat, I mean, not flat, but tree, basically treeless, you know, uh, sheep fields or something and I haven't been to Ireland so obviously I'm running on very limited uh, probably cliches but um, but I gather from your book that the green rolling hills of Ireland aren't exactly what Ireland wants to be or used to be before it was over farmed can you talk about that a little bit yeah but Ireland um used to be oak and woodland oak and yew woodlands you know mixture of native trees but oak would have been the strongest kind of densest places now there's only 0.02 percent of that ancient woodland left Mm. and um there's only two percent of native woodland covering the whole country it's completely over farmed it's being blanket sprayed with chemicals constantly um it has the highest levels of glyphosate in in water or the second highest level in Europe. Wow. Um, it has, um, it, 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 it's, it's absolutely, it's absolutely being destroyed, you know, mm. and it's a really special place. And, um, mm-hmm. there's enough of us here that care about it still to try and pull it back from the brink. But I am, no matter what you do with politicians, they don't listen. Unfortunately, they're being, they're being, they're they're in a system which which panders to multinationals and lobby groups and mm-hmm. they I don't know if they start off like this but they 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 lose their um, what's the word backbone. integrity integrity <laughs> and backbone and they've lost very very quickly there's there's nobody that's actually caring for the vulnerable in our society is nobody caring for land or the earth or the water or the trees there's not nobody caring for any of it um and it's up to us and that's why i wrote the book was mm-hmm. you know if if enough of us 
you know, turn it around in our own spaces. It'll only take a certain amount of that before everything changes because I really believe in that whole thing about tipping the balance, you know, about the hundred monkey syndrome. Certain, if we can change the consciousness of enough people mm-hmm. by working with land to bring it back to life before it's too late because it's pretty late now, you know, and, and the reason the reason that the book is there is because you can't just leave land to come back to itself really on its own because it would eventually, you know, apart from forest fires or mm-hmm. damage from different creatures, it would eventually make its way back to a multi-tiered woodland system. Um, but we have to hurry up that process because we've done so much damage. We're out of time. We can't rely on... Uh, we haven't enough time to let it come back to itself on its own. We just don't. So it's our job to help shepherd this along a little yep. more quickly. You mentioned um, glyphosate, and mm-hmm. um, <clears throat> I'm reading a book now about about Roundup, about Monsanto, um, which will be a future interview. But um, it's just really occurring to me the the power of books to start to turn um, public opinion, I guess, or just kind of rally people together. And I know glyphosate is one of those things that I, and if people don't know, that's Roundup basically um, is the, you know, shelf name for glyphosate and the weed killer that's been known to cause cancer. um, And science has been manipulated and hidden for years and it's just now it seems like it's just now starting to come to the surface more as a as a kind of mainstream news event um, which is great um but like you said that's that's due to people on a very grassroots level just sort of pushing and being relentless about that kind of pressure um so your book i mean your book is a is a kind of rallying cry, but it's a very gentle one. So, how do you see your role as a writer, as in terms of uh, becoming maybe a <laughs> reluctant political activist? Um. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I that. don't know. No, it's okay. I I I don't know because I know um, I sat on a stage here recently. A couple of weeks ago, with, with one of my heroes called Diana Beresford Kruger, um, she wrote my favorite book in the whole world called *The Global Forest*. Mm. And um, she's an Irish woman originally. She's living in Ontario now, but um, uh, you know, I mean, we we had just watched a movie about Diana's work, which is beautiful. It's called *The Call of the Forest*, but it's 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 the book really that you know, is, is powerful for me, you know, like you say, power books have, have the ability to change people massively, mm-hmm. but, um, you know, a film can't really grasp that. But as I was sitting on stage anyway, and I was answering questions from the audience with Diana and another wonderful guy over here called Andrew St. Ledger. And, um, he has a thing called the Woodland League here is a really powerful and um, positive person. But, um, I, I find I get cross sometimes and, I kind of get really, I get really cross with the politicians and mm-hmm. the fact that it's, uh, that we, we just, 
there'd be quite a few of them in the room beforehand, just kind of schmoozing and saying what they're going to do. And and I'm so cynical at this stage, you know, I kind of get so cynical. Mm-hmm. I don't have time to pretend that this is that this is okay or that 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 they're going to do anything because I know they won't. They only do it if there's enough pressure, right. and that then if and then only if that pressure is is local, because it's pump it's parish pump politics over in Ireland in particular particularly. But I I don't think I'd be, you know, the best kind of political activist because I get I kind of I'm not terribly articulate in many ways. You know, I kind of get extremely passionate about it, but. The way I feel about it is that over here, there's this belief about it on Kailak. And Kailak is, I guess, another word for witch, you know. Hmm. But the Kailak or the Morrigan was, was, the, was the person who minded the earth and the water and the wells and the rivers and the lakes and the woods. And she took care of it all. And, and she was a very gentle energy. It was the feminine energy. You know, she was kind of the most ancient of the, the myths over here, you know, mm-hmm. and then men came along and started to take ownership of the land and she rose up in, in anger. And sometimes I feel like women get angry and men are getting angry, too, because they realize that, that the feminine energy is, is the, the earth is the embodiment of the feminine energy and it's a direct reflection mm-hmm. of how women are treated in the world to get today. And women are not treated well in the world. It, it might, you might think it's okay if you live in a very sort of safe, kind of equal place, but mm-hmm. if you're aware of the world at large or what we have to deal with every day, it's it's pretty heavy, you know? It's mm-hmm. pretty heavy. Mm-hmm. And that that's going to change when the earth starts to heal. That is going to change. So I don't think we can really tackle that one without tackling healing the land because it's it's... They're, we're so tied up with the earth we're so psychically emotionally spiritually connected to it physically connected to it obviously but because people have stopped growing their own food they, they severed their connection with the earth because mm-hmm. instead of needing land to be healthy and well so that they can survive now it's only benefit is if it's pretty yeah and 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 that's that's exactly what it's like with women. You're only useful if you're pretty. I mean, mm. it's awful. <laughs> it's, it's interesting to me because you mentioned um, the idea that we're cut off. And this is something that comes up almost in every interview that I do, this idea that we've lost our history to the land in such a short amount of time. Like since the Industrial Revolution, we just have amnesia about where our roots are um, with living in concert and balance with the land. I I see some kind of connection to the Irish... um, I guess, remembrance of things like um, pagan uh, folklore or images or um, deities or uh, you were talking about witches earlier. Is that is that type of mythology, I guess, for lack of a better word, is that um, something that Irish people normally throw, throw around, you know, or is that coming up in conversation? How does that stay alive in culture or are you kind of trying to keep it alive? No, it's pretty live. I mean, storytelling over here is still very strong, you know. Mm-hmm. 
and so I think I think everyone is thirsty for that connection with the earth so connection with their roots and um, they will they will be attracted to anything that 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 is strongly um, you know true to mm -hmm. the land or true to our culture um, in a positive sense you know not like because there's a lot of negative things as well but but um, all that stuff is is very much part of people's lives still um, and it's coming back more and more you know and I mean it's not like everyone sits around talking about this stuff but right it it will be it'll be taught in the schools like you know the old myths are very much part of our of our curriculum you know the curriculum in school, oh, that's like, great. Um, and they're they're a huge part of it. And storybooks for kids are lots of that is there. And you know, all the old customs at Halloween, like people know that pumpkins originated in Ireland as turnips, and a lot of the customs came from here. Yeah. You know, um, like pumpkins originated originated as turnips. Yeah, turnips was we used to carve turnips out in Ireland. Oh, oh wow. And, the Irish brought that tradition to America. Um, oh, okay. And Sam, which is what was last night, was um, myself and my kids and some other kids that I had around. We, we lit a fire outside and sat around it. And, you know, we talked about setting our intentions for the year. And um, and, you, and that's, what is that? Sam Hain? Is that what you said? Sam, Samhain. It's, it's, Salmon. It's, it's, <laughs> Sam Hain. No, that's Sam. my... <laughs> My so my funny. American butchering Sam Hain. Sawan, Sawan, Sawan. Oh, Sawan. That's how you pronounce it. Yeah. Oh um, wow. Yeah, I was completely it, off. The understanding in Ireland was that that was kind of like it's kind of like a it's a period between now and the twenty first of December waiting for the light to return so it's like this really mm. fertile time um of going inwards to your kind of inner just be quiet and going inwards into darkness where, where it's the most fertile and um, magical place and anything can come from it just you know mm. you're kind of supposed to be gathering energy and you know the veil is very thin between our world and the world of spirit mm. and all the other realms particularly last night and now between now and um you know the return of the light as such on the 21st of december which you know got transformed into christmas then you know like mm. all these things get kind of s m messed around with but they're still beautiful you know but um yeah so ireland is very much part of that old thing and, and those traditions are very much here i mean we play a game in ireland called hurling and every kid in ireland who's into sport and you know, has a hurl and hurling is a really brutal game. It's hmm. so dangerous, like, hmm. but it's a brilliant game and it's, it's a massive national sport. Like it's huge. And it's basically, um, I suppose it's like hockey, hmm. except it's in the air and it's extremely fast. It's in the air. You said it's in the air. Yeah. And you, you should, you should Google it. Like it's you mean an incredible people are flying or <laughs> they're throwing. No, they're not flying. No, they're hitting the ball through uh, the air. Okay. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> But it's was, it's incredibly like like you know it's it's just an amazing game. But that sport has been played all the way through history, all the way back to the earliest Smiths. Wow! Um, when Fionn McCool would have hit, you know, they would they were always associated with hurling, and you know, I mean, our myths are 
very much alive because we still have all these traditions in everyday life, you know. It's amazing. So, yeah, it's, it's very strong here. And also, seriously, you should come over sometime. It's unbelievable. You can. There's so many standing stones. There's so many kind of portals and underground tombs and, you wow. know, sacred wells. And the problem is that people don't respect them anymore. I mean, they're digging them up massive. Like, there's fairy forts being bulldozered constantly by farmers because they're afraid that, wow. that some find out that there's one there and they won't be able to use their land anymore you know oh wow uh, you mean they won't be able to use it because of some kind of curse or no 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 they they've kind of lost their fear okay. of that okay no not curses more of that the national kind of monuments will come in and look after oh, the place oh yeah and protect it so yeah can you just describe what a fairy fort is like if somebody found well, one on their land yeah there's different there's different places but once the people I suppose they're sacred groves, you know, like a circle of trees. And they're often around um, probably old Norman forts. You'd see they would have been built on kind of mounds, like fairy mounds. And fairies are basically, they're a race in Ireland called the Tuatha Danann. And um, when the Milesians came to Ireland, so the fairy race lived in Ireland for a long time and many thousands of millennia or whatever it was. And I don't know how long, obviously, because there's nothing written down. It's all stories. and mm -hmm. um, Oral tradition. Yeah. And then the Milesians came from northern Spain, um, which were, I suppose, what people call the Celtic people. And they arrived and they couldn't get into the land. You know, they couldn't come in um, because the the two of the Adanen had such power over all nature's elements. So like the wind and the rain and... Um, thunder and everything. They couldn't. They couldn't land on the on the on 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 the on the shores. They couldn't mm. get their ship. But eventually, one of their druids came and threw all that magic right back at them. And they had a massive battle. And they and eventually, the Milesians won out. And they decided to make a truce with the Tuatha Dé and and they said they could have half the land, and the Milesians would have the other half. But then, at the last minute, they kind of flipped it and they gave the Tuatha Dé and the underground half, and they got the above ground half. Hmm. So they went on into what people call fairy mounds. So they, so they, that those energies, you know, they all live underground. That's wow. the, the understanding, you know. And that seems to kind of lead into your approach to your own designs. I mean, I'm looking at one of your drawings now. Um, it's actually the Chelsea Flower Show, which is, I don't know, is that probably what you're most known for? Um, probably. Uh, and you you won a you won a prestigious um, award at the Chelsea Flower Show for this design. Is that right? Mm -hmm. When I was a child, a long time ago. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Your own mythology now is <laughs> being repeated <laughs> yeah. over and over. Um, but at any rate, it's uh, just looking at the design. It's um, there's a sacredness to it. There's kind of a communal kind of setting you know there's this everything sort of pulls to the center there's this kind of symmetry to it there's a very formal entrance to the garden i wonder how how is it now that you've been doing this for a number of years how do your garden designs how are they received do people uh, seem to react when they first come into your garden i guess i'm thinking of people who are feeling disconnected from their land and and kind of craving that uh regenerative restorative place so how do people react to your gardens well all i can tell you is how they react to um the designs because the gardens are going to take long time to come into their own does that mm -hmm. make sense yes i only really transformed the way i work when i started writing this book 
um, and I guess that was about what six years ago now or something. Mm-hmm. And uh, it took me a few years to figure out what it is that was wrong with my work. So mm-hmm. when I realized that all the gardens I was doing was were you know beautiful and designed in harmony with the shapes and patterns of nature but they didn't want to the land itself didn't want to remain that way so they had the, it had its own intentions so i had to re- really really stop working and re- and work out how to work in harmony with land again nature and land and i so when people see the designs it's quite interesting they are often quite often they they cry um hmm. almost every time actually they start crying um I guess it's like a relief or something. A relief that somebody has heard them. Um, and are these usually clients or Yeah, they're cli- mm-hmm. clients. I mean, I don't I I I kind of I do a lot of consultancy work which I prefer really, you know, cuz I really prefer if people do this work themselves if they can, which is why I made the book so that I didn't have to do it for everyone. Mm-hmm. But they could do it themselves. So I teach everybody through the book as much as I can, as simplest words I can, mm-hmm. how to do this work. And it's so easy, you know. It's like once you design spaces within the shapes and patterns of nature, you're staying within the universal flow of energy. You're not blocking that flow of natural energy. Okay, that's very important. And you try and leave as much of the land for nature as you can try and take as little of it as possible for hard spaces or for landscaping you know it's kind of a multi-tiered system isn't it what i what i design like it's like there's a few different it is yeah because you have i think when we over here say landscaping people think that means planting shrubs and trees and stuff that's not native or whatever but your designs the landscaping is actually kind of like sculpting the the land into shapes um yeah to prepare it i guess yeah kind of i kind of there is that um depends on how how well it depends on every piece of land like i try and would use i try and use wood to build up like they call them hugel cultures to, to build shapes as opposed to um as opposed to sculpting them but mm-hmm. the difference between my work and other garden designers are is very particular it's basically i see nature as beautiful and nature is is natural beauty is 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 very very calming to the senses if you create a garden which is unobtainable beauty something which is which is clipped and held and forced into a particular shape and 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 life form that's an unobtainable beauty. It's like it's like a really beautiful woman. You can stand back and just look at her in awe. Mm-hmm. You know you'll never be like that. So mm-hmm. it makes you feel less mm-hmm. beautiful yourself. Whereas my work is about embracing the beauty of the of the truth, like the inner energy and the inner truth of a place. And by and by you see, people think that you can't have woodland in a small area and. They think you can't grow enough food to sustain your family within that system, and mm-hmm. they they have all these can'ts in their heads. And mm-hmm. I, I needed to explain to people that this is all possible, and all those things that you worry about, like oh, well, I'll have loads of ticks if I have loads of trees or whatever it is. All those things are only there 
until the land comes back into balance, until the the natural ecosystem is is returned and all the natural predators are there, everything becomes balanced in harmony in harmony again. Mm-hmm. And when you're in a space that's that's happy and held in harmony, it, it you you feel good. It's like mm-hmm. people go in holidays to all these incredibly wild places because they want to feel that feeling of. Mm-hmm wildness our inner wildness is gone like the gardens aren't wild they're desperate places like they're heartbreaking places i can't stand them like i, mm-hmm. I can't stand gardens you I mean can't like a conventional garden that's uh you know very controlled and very clipped and manicured yeah don't like them it's like i i always i always tell people it's exactly like forcing a child into a pink tutu <laughs> and telling it to sit there and smile and look happy and and mm-hmm. and and smile when the neighbors come around and perform and don't you dare change because i'll punish you yeah. you know if you if you grow and change or morph i will punish you right i mean the, the land is does not want to stay dressed in a pink tutu it, it it wants to turn into a teenager and into an adult you know it wants to become a mature independent being mm-hmm. but the only way it's going to be loved by us is if we you know in this scenario is if is if it stays in the pink tutu so it wants to be loved mm-hmm. so much it will try its hardest and its mm-hmm. energy will retreat and it'll die it'll it'll be heartbroken it's very evident in a lot of places i go into there's heartbroken pieces of land everywhere mm. uh i know yeah i know what you mean um you, I just keep thinking about growing up in Oklahoma where it's just you know it's where the dust bowl happened you know and i just I felt this sense of um, just grief about the land that I grew up within, but no one could really ever articulate that. These are lands that used to be, you know, essentially savannas, like, uh, you know, native grasslands, deep roots. Um, But anyway, um, uh, I'm looking at uh, one of your sections in your book, called finding your roots and by the way the book um has these charming drawings this artwork that's it lends so much to the book and i feel like we'd be doing it a disservice if we don't kind of mention the the artistry of the book the woman called ruth evans and she has a, a gallery in england called the hedgerow gallery and um i luckily enough lucky enough my manager knew her and asked her whether she consider it but you can see that she she tuned into the energy of the book. Oh, when totally. I mean, at first I thought you had drawn them because it just seems like it comes out of the same place. Yeah, it's amazing, isn't it? I mean, I've done the garden designs, obviously, but not not those beautiful drawings. I mean, I, I lucky I have quite a few of them, the prints of them, and I mm. just just think they're beautiful. They're whimsical, and they're the energy of them is powerful. Is Ruth Evans? Is she Irish as well? No, she's English. Okay, but she definitely has captured this idea that fairies and the natural world and the known world—they all kind of—they're they're steeped in it. It's just they're they're um, there's there's just as many people over there searching for those energies as there are here. You know, it's amazing. And same in America, sure, right? I mean that that connection stuff is 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 becoming more and more obvious. Lots well, connection. I think it is, and through work of people like yourself and just kind of the growing consciousness about um, non-human animals and non-human beings that we're not just the, you know, you mentioned 
that humans aren't really what it's all about. But this chapter, Finding Your Roots, um, I underlined... Well, first, I was wondering if you could read the Gaelic because uh, it's so beautiful. It says, your feet will bring you to where your heart is. Page, page 19. Uh, 19, okay. yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay, so, an oi to will decree is own a tourist akosahu. So your feet will bring you to where your heart is. That's, That's beautiful. I think in one part of the book you talk about uh, gardening or just being in your gardens with your shoes off so your feet are actually on the ground. Yeah, that 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 comes back to the understanding that we're basically just walking plants. And um, we once you realize that all of the bacteria, viruses, fungi, everything that's in the earth is in our guts, we're just kind of turned in, we're kind of, you know, we're kind of inside out bits of land. Do you know what I mean? Or yeah, I do. This, the skin of the earth is, is, you know, wrapped all around us kind of thing. But everything that's in the soil, it's inside of us, all the same stuff. And um, one of the main understandings in the book is that we have to start to grow our own food um, mm-hmm. because the food system is poisoning us, poisoning the earth, poisoning the air, poisoning the water. Um, and all the other creatures are being destroyed because of it. So, for example, 75% reduction in insect populations in the whole world in the last 25 years. And three quarters of all life on Earth is insects. And we've lost 75% of that life mm-hmm. in 25 years because of blanket spraying of pesticides in agriculture. Yeah. So Insectageddon is the term that keeps popping up. <clears throat> wow. Okay. Well, so I haven't heard that. That's, that's very yeah. apt. Yeah. So basically... Um, the only way we're going to affect that system is by not supporting it anymore. So mm-hmm. one of the one of the cool things about growing your own food is in this in your land in a conscious way is that when the enzymes in your skin connect with the bacteria in the soil, the the land recognizes you as one of its own, that you're just another plant that it's working with, you know? Mm. Um, um so the plants have relationships, symbiotic relationships with the fungi and the bacteria and all the other creatures in the soil. And when a plant needs a particular nutrient, it'll give those fungi, um, you know, carbohydrates from photosynthesis in return for the, the network of fungi will, 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 will retrieve whatever um, nutrient it needs. The bacteria will, will open it up for it. Um, so the plant has what it needs, but it's the same with us. So the food that we are going to be eating from, it's it's like this sacrificial and interesting symbiotic relationship. <laughs> like it's <laughs> so complicated, you know, mm-hmm. it's like mm-hmm. really a relationship. But well, I, I know that uh, your time is probably ticking away and I don't want to make you late for whatever you need to do to be a mom again. Um <laughs> go back to the drawing board I have, a, yeah. I have a series of pressure with a, a particular design at the moment to try and get it finished oh super then. great um well we've been uh talking for a better part of an hour and um i really appreciate you taking the time to talk with me about this book it's really i mean since larry brought it to my attention it's really just been at my side and i've you know it's all it's all marked up and don't you feel like it's like obvious once you've read it, it's yeah. obvious. No, it yeah. is. It is. It's really just, it is obvious because I think it's really just reminding us what we already know, but we've just sort of forgotten. Or exactly. we've, we've forgotten yeah. how to talk about it. I mean, these yeah. are, what you're talking about is, 
these are ancient um, ideas that you know occurred through native people all over the world in different ways. You know yeah. that that's not something we've invented. We just need to peel back the veneer of <laughs> modern life. Yeah. To, but it doesn't take much, right? It doesn't take much yeah. archaeological digging to 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 reveal it. No, and and the and the, the kind of the desert that is modern life. Yeah. Isn't working for anyone. Yeah. No, it's not working for anyone, apart from one percent, and it certainly isn't working for them either because they tend to be extremely unhappy as well. Well, yeah. And so we have to we have to forge a new path because this one is is killing us and killing yeah. everything else. <laughs> yeah. So it's a very simple route back, you know, very yeah. very simple gentle route back. And once you remember that we are here to mind everybody, everything, all the living creatures, that it's literally our job. It suddenly gives huge meaning to our lives, and all those weeds that we kind of keep pulling out, we suddenly realize they're not—they're not to be pulled out. They're there for a reason. They're feeding the pollinators. They're healing the land. They're—they yeah. all have important work. So we just look after them, and yeah. we kind of—you know—we also give them, you know, boundaries like you would any child. But mm-hmm. you know, we—it—it's it, it, a very, very simple route back to the truth of who we are. And restoring our kind of inner meaning, and because it's very difficult to walk away from modern life, we can't. Like it's we're, we've 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 really cut ourselves off so badly hmm. that that this is a very empowering route back because you're still you're not walking out off into the desert, you're not walking off into the woods or into the mountains because it's it's you can't do that, especially when you've kids or you've got mm-hmm. responsibilities or mm-hmm. but you can't transform your life by working with land this way and it's so simple and so slow and it doesn't cost anything it can be extremely you can share plants you can do it very very slowly and um there's a gaelic phrase i just just flipped to randomly that says god's help is nearer than the door (laughs) and i won't try to i won't try to say the gaelic but um that's okay that's great. I but, love that one. But that's yeah. beautiful, right? I mean, the this idea that you're getting at, I think that um, it, you don't have to climb, you don't have to make a mass exodus uh, hermetic retreat to the mountaintop, right? No, you can't. That's not the way can't. it works anymore. <laughs> so, so try to figure something else out, you know? Well, and your book, I mean, we've, we've talked about the kind of the, the narrative, the storytelling of your book, but really the other half of the book is how do you do it? And yeah. um, I don't need to kind of go over the details of that because I want uh, readers to discover for themselves. But you really have laid it out <clears throat> like any good teacher, step by step, uh, how to restore your own land, how to approach it, but also, I mean, just really nuts and bolts stuff. Like here's the botanical name of plants, um, the common name, you know, how you would combine them and how you would sort of create this um, this multi-tiered um, woodland system that you're talking about. And, and um, I guess it could be complicated if you want to look at it, um, if you get overwhelmed by the details, but you lay it out in a really... Um, step by step way and that's what it takes right yeah it takes time it just takes time and um, it takes it takes. it's like imagine growing a plant you kind of 
it's similar to that. Like, it's just going to take time. You can't mm. make it happen fast. And all gardens these days are kind of instant. You know, you, I, was, I got really upset about the world of garden design and, mm-hmm. you know, stalling fully grown trees and kind of just, you know, covering up the soil with big areas of hardscaping and mm-hmm. monocultured lawns or, you know, mm-hmm. you know, architectural hedgerows, but nothing, there's no life in them left. So mm-hmm. it's about bringing life back and and it, it just restores your own life as well when you bring life back into your land. It's just very, very bloody simple, really. It is just simple re- and yet um, watching you do it, watch, I mean, looking at this book and your designs, I mean, you make you make the very, uh, you make the art, artistry of it look very simple. So I think that's the thing that that um, you're able to do is to turn it into a, a kind of a there's like a poetry to it like it's like I, I really like do you feel like you could take on a piece of land and make a design through it after mm-hmm. reading the design sections mm-hmm. for example mm-hmm. i mean it's just about it's about not not blocking the flow of energy and and trying to use as little of it as possible that's mm-hmm. doesn't really it's not really that hard is it i hope <laughs> uh i don't think so i think we we make it hard you know like um you mentioned the One Straw Revolution and uh, Masanobu mm. Fukuoka earlier, and um, he's really a hero of mine. And one of the things I love that he talks about is how humans we just we just create more problems, and then we have to solve the problems that we've created, and that's what makes it complicated, right? Yeah, it's just that abundance in nature, which used to be available to us, we have to restore it. So it's up yeah. to us to walk the land back to health because it ain't going to happen yeah. fast enough always. and um, and then we have to step out of the way it's like when you've got a child who's a mature adult you step out of the way you don't keep yeah. telling them what to do so yeah it just it's it's really about parenting this book <laughs> <laughs> that's great right there's a lot about magic in it as well about what magic is and how you can restore those magical kind of that power that we have, we've forgotten that we have it, you know, that that's all available to us. Like the land is like a universal post box for all that stuff. Probably every culture knows. I'm going to stop talking now. <laughs> <laughs> well, we, obviously we could go on for hours, um, but yeah. at some point I, I do have to um, do I, start yeah. editing this. But I really, Mary, I really appreciate your time. And um, well, I just appreciate you. your voice and the book. Um the garden awakening it's just um it's really wonderful so i'm i'm going to keep following following you on the social media and um i mean there's mm-hmm. also the movie i don't know if you've come across the movie yeah but the movie it's coming out in america next year sometime i get emails from all over the world every day from people who've watched the film and okay they love it like very simple film you know it's a really beautiful simple message and uh yeah i you know i was reading your bio and it says you know mary reynolds is a nature activist and reformed landscape designer and she's also the inspiration for a film dare to be wild and uh i guess i was thinking oh it must be a documentary or something and then i go and watch the trailer and it's like a really like slick um kind of love story romantic it's a love story story. (laughs) and it's really very much, at least the trailer is very much about this love story, you know, between this young man and, and yourself as a young woman and kind of 
your adventure of winning this prestigious uh, gardening prize, the Chelsea Flower Show, which yeah. I'm guessing most people in the States don't know about that prize, but I guess it's very prestigious. Am I right? Yeah, it is. It's Well, it, it it's kind of like the, yeah, it probably would be on this side of the pond, mm-hmm. um, it'd be the, the biggest flower show um, over here anyway. Mm-hmm. I mean, And I usually know. people that win it are kind of gray-haired <laughs> yeah, experts. Yeah, when, when I did it, it was very different. I mean, I kind of broke the mold yeah. a little bit. So they, I, I think it was, it was, it's a great story. Um, it involves me basically blagging my way into the flower show. I, um, I couldn't, I couldn't get them to listen to me or to send me an out an application form because they'd never heard of me, and it was much more closed back then, you know. Mm-hmm. So eventually, um, I asked them to send me one out for the crack. This is the Royal Horticultural Society in London. Um, for the crack in Ireland means for the fun. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't catch that. <laughs> so, okay. I was going to let that go by, but I had no idea what you were talking about. <laughs> I do have to remember that. Yeah. Um. My um. My. So basically, I kept ringing them back, and I do understand now why they wouldn't want an unknown young girl designing a garden for a prestigious flower show. But eventually, um, they. I got a hold of a, a lady who was working in the office and they were all out and she said actually they were sent out about you know eight weeks previously and I had been ringing all summer looking for one but eventually they let me I sorry I had to let my dog into the room she was going around there it's okay um, eventually they um they let me um she said look I'll send you out an application form and the only problem is you have to courier back you know, on Monday, this was a Thursday, mm-hmm. with um, all the full design details in place and full sponsorship, proof of sponsorship. So mm. I said, problem, because being Irish, you kind of think, I just have to figure out a way of making Bluff it work. Bluff your way through it, yeah. Through it. And so I basically did the design over the weekend and I um, <laughs> forged sponsorship documents from an obscure company in Beirut that I figured they'd never track down. Oh, and wonderful. I sent it over. Oh, that's and great. It got and then once I was in, the, she put it through to the judging panel, so it kind of bypassed the usual system. And um, I mean, it was a huge risk. Mm-hmm. Uh, my part, because then I had to go and surreptitiously raise, you know, a quarter of a million. Um, wow. Without finding out that I had no money or that I was complete unknown or, you know, all oh that stuff. Oh, my God. And how old were you when this was going on? 27. And... Um, I ch- instead of focusing on that, I kind of decided I would. I was reading a book by a guy called Deepak Chopra. Yeah, I'm sure you've heard. Yeah, called the Seven Spiritual Laws of Success, and one of them which really resonated with me was, you know, if you say thank you for something, then it already happens rather than wishing for it. So I, I wrote it mm. on my fridge. I said thank you for my gold medal and full sponsorship at the Chelsea Flower Show. <laughs> Every day I read it and modest, every day a modest I read thank you. Uh-huh. <laughs> until I believed it had already happened. And then I kind of just let it go because I fell in love and chased a man over to Ethiopia and had a great adventure with him over there um, working on, you know, re- basically on on projects that were based on the work of, of One Straw Revolution. So it's uh, an interesting so circle. So sowing seeds yeah. in, the, in the desert kind of thing. Yeah. Exactly. It was his work that oh. this woman started. 
And is that the love story that's central to the film? Is that man? Oh. And it goes all the way over to Ethiopia and all the way to London. Wow. You know, it's a lovely story, you know, and um, very fun and very magical. So you really uh, opened yourself up to, to, to revealing this story for the film. Well, I'm, 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 I'm not exactly a closed book, am I, Joe? <laughs> well, uh, well, no, that's interesting, though. And I, I wanted to touch on that because, um, you know, when I saw the trailer to the film, it's like very much about this, this romantic um, unfolding and how it, but also kind of how it intertwines with your career also, you know, flowering. But um, then I go to the book and the book, I think the only mention of this relationship in the book was, and then I met this guy and I chased him to Africa and then I left him for another guy. And like, like it just stops right there. It's like, <laughs> you, you don't really like paint the big vivid picture that the movie seems to be uh, getting at. Am I Actually, right? Larry, Larry convinced me to take a good bit of that out. Oh, thing. okay. That was an editing decision. Okay. So <laughs> yeah, Larry's was, Larry's not the romantic softy that we might think he is. is. Larry's lovely. No, it's more. Yeah. It's more that he said, "Look, at some point, you have to stop oversharing. You have to right. stop oversharing." <laughs> <laughs> That's hilarious. That's hilarious. Well, it's nice because then the book can really be just a be what it is and then the film can be what it is and they can be kind of living in different realms I guess exactly exactly yeah it, it is it is one of those positive and light films which we rarely get to see these days you know mm-hmm. and I can't wait to see it um, it's just it's really your life your career is so multi-dimensional and I hope that that comes I think that comes through in our chat today and um Thank you so much for taking the time to call as well. What time is it over there? Uh, It's 8.25. I've just had half a cup of coffee, and um, (laughs) I need to get going. Yeah. All right. right, I appreciate it, Mary. Um, Good luck with your new designs, and have a great day. You too. God bless. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. How great was that? Who doesn't want to go to Ireland now? I know I do. And um, I wanted to also mention that Mary Reynolds told me that her next big project is developing a piece of land that she purchased in Ireland that she plans to, in her own words, to build a living version of the book to educate children into connecting with nature and teach people how to turn their garden plots into massive opportunities for the land, nature health, and our own health. And so she'll be seeking funding for that project. Uh, Do follow Mary. You can uh, check out the description in this podcast to find her website and follow her on Twitter. And um, also I wanted to mention that Farm on the Podcast is also looking for funding, always looking for a sponsor. So if you're out there and you think this is something that would help you reach people in your audience, uh, do reach out to us. Um, you can contact me on Twitter at farmondharma, that's D-H-A-R-M-A, and my email address is dharmaonthefarm at gmail.com. Until next time, follow the sun and farm on.